0: Some rail workers aren't happy. That's because Congress forced an agreement between rail workers and bosses yesterday. The House made this move to avoid a walkout by more than 50,000 rail employees. And President Biden said that this strike would devastate the U.S. economy. Now, the agreement met some of the union's requests, but not all. So where does this leave rail workers? And what does it say about other unionization efforts in the country? So joining us to discuss is Robert Bruno. Professor and Director of the Labor Education Program at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Hi, Professor Bruno. Welcome back.
1: Well, thank you, Sasha. It's nice to be on the program again.
0: So for those who haven't been following this story very closely, Professor, what were rail workers bargaining for? So for the past
1: three years, the railway workers were bargaining to make changes to their collective bargaining, principally to change the draconian scheduling system that the freight carriers use that practically compel workers to stay on the job. Uh, They uh, particularly wanted to negotiate paid time off. They had requested 15 days of paid time off. They currently have no paid sick days, mm-hmm. uh, they're compelled to use vacation time if they need to take time off for a doctor's appointment or perhaps a parent-teacher uh, conference uh, at a child's school. So that, that, along with a need to address uh, wages, uh, were the principal issues at the heart of the bargaining.
0: Yeah, I see they were working Two-week-long shifts, and uh, they've been short-staffed as well. So help us understand, Professor, what's at stake here for the rail companies?
1: well the the rail companies believe that they have to have nearly uh, absolute power over and control of uh, the the labor um, that's accessible to them to uh, to man these uh, man these trains uh, in an almost just in time like way with with no slack time uh, they're operating trains roughly about two-and-a-half to three miles uh, long. Uh, These trains have gotten much longer over the years, and they feel that they have to have maximum control over the ability to place a worker on a job and keep a worker on the train. Mm -hmm. But they're operating these trains now at about uh, a third less, 30% less, of uh, 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 the employees that uh, that that uh, worked for the freight carriers uh, about a, a, a decade ago and so they see it simply uh, as it, as a form of control over the labor force and uh, they do not want to hire additional workers that cuts in obviously to their uh, bottom line mm-hmm. um, uh, and and they see it as just a uh, you know a serious challenge to their managerial authority
0: yeah to that end this this showdown between rail workers and their bosses. It's been going on for about six months and a strike was averted earlier this fall. So yesterday's agreement, that was the the culmination of months of tension. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now let's get into the details of the agreement, Professor. What's in it? Did the unions get what they wanted?
1: So, you know, to be... To be clear there, I mean there really isn't an agreement right I mean the parties haven't uh, negotiated uh, an agreement, but the imposed uh, settlement uh, that uh, Congress uh, uh, that the House voted on yesterday um, w- would provide the, the uh, workers with uh, a pay increase uh, looking back to 2020 and then going forward a couple of years uh, uh, along with one Additional day off, uh, uh, and that falls far short of uh, what the uh, workers were uh, asking for. So there are some improvements in terms. Of compensation um, and some other uh, smaller pieces uh, uh, that the parties were negotiating, Uh, but but the imposed settlement does not include the paid sick days uh, that the uh, union had requested. And again. They had proposed uh, 14 days, uh, and the counterproposal on the part of the freight carriers was not 10, it wasn't seven, but it was actually zero. Um, Now, a second piece of legislation that the House approved would, through legislation, mandate that the freight carriers provide seven paid sick day. So uh, they they simply took the midpoint uh, and proposed that in the second piece of legislation. Now that's something the workers would accept. Uh, However, the freight carriers uh, are uh, are opposed to it uh, and they see it uh, as a imposition uh, and, and an intervention on the part of the government into how uh, the, uh, the how the employer would would run their uh, their their union so uh, without that second piece of legislation also being approved uh, this is going to really uh, come down as a um, as a serious blow uh, to the workers because it's going to be a, yeah. a very business friendly
0: so why was employment? Congress able to step in here? Like, what's the Railway Labor Act and how did they use it?
1: Yeah, it was passed in 19. uh, 26, and, uh, it was passed because in the latter part of the 19th and in the early part of the 20th century, there were some really, uh, significant, uh, disputes in the railway industry. There were national railway strikes. A number of them, uh, were, were very, uh, were very violent. Um, uh, and, and so Congress acted, uh, um, by passing this law, uh, which creates a series of mediated procedural steps to try to uh... forestall uh... strikes in the railway uh... industry uh... and it and it, and it requires that the the parties uh... if they can't find agreement and they've got to go to a national mediation board and then if that board isn't successful then there's the possibility of a presidential emergency board which which can suggest uh... a, a settlement uh, if that's not accepted then uh... based on a Supreme Court case in 1917, I believe, uh, Congress, uh, under the Commerce Clause of the Constitution, has the ability to step in uh, and essentially impose a settlement. They can do it in a variety of different ways. Um, uh, The kinds of legislation that we saw yesterday uh, is one of those. They could have delayed um, uh, the date for the strike and compelled the parties to keep bargaining. They could have force the parties to submit their proposals to a third uh, p- a party neutral, an arbitrator. Yeah. Uh, all of this uh, is possible under the uh, Railway uh, Labor Act.
0: So let's drive the point home, Professor. Congress can regulate who can strike and when, depending on how it impacts the economy and public safety, right? <laughs>
1: That's correct. It has to be of grave concern uh, to the public welfare. So it has to be a major issue of dispute. There, there needs to be a finding that a work stoppage uh, would seriously threaten the uh, health and welfare um, of, of of the of, of the country. Very often, this is computed in uh, in economic terms, right? The number of dollars that might be be lost to, to the employer, how it might impact other workers, how it might impact. Uh, employment generally. So what will be, what will be the impact on the state of the economy? Uh, and there have been estimates. Now they're, you know, they're estimates as to what would or would not happen. Um, and then predict and then based on some past experience with, uh, railroad strikes or strikes, um, of, of a national scope, uh, uh, th- there, there's estimates of uh, how harmful this would be. And on that basis, Congress then can uh can take action is authorized to take action
0: we've talked with you uh, on this show before about other local unionization efforts from newspapers to to Starbucks. Does this one feel different
1: well it, well, it is yeah certainly but but there is a i think there's an important uh co- connection here i mean it it's Uh, It's different in course in that uh, it has. It's we're looking at the possibility of an industry-wide shutdown. Um, It's also different in that you have Congress. I mean, you have Congress stepping up to act um, in a dispute about whether or not. Workers in the, in, in, in two thousand twenty two uh, can get a handful of paid sick, day, sick days so that 's kind of extraordinary uh, but it, but the whole machinery of the of the state of the government of the regulatory system is, 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 uh, uh, is acting uh, here in this dispute so that makes it really quite exceptional but the way they 're related is that workers since the fall of two thousand twenty one have been showing uh, a lot of uh, renewed strength and energy. You see a lot of new organizing happening. Unionization number, numbers are are up. Yeah. There's been an upsurge of strikes. And so if the union were able to be successful in their bargaining here, either by waging a strike and winning mm-hmm. or getting legislation that provides them with what they uh, asked for, that would be a signal to lots of other workers that you, too, could also use collective uh, you know, collective organizing at, as a way uh, to win your demands. And it would be a, uh, it would be a positive uh, you know, shot of energy uh, right. in to the labor movement.
0: Well, President Biden has painted himself as a pro-union president. Let's listen.
1: Unions lift up workers, both union and non-union, and especially black and brown workers. I've made it clear, made it clear when I was running, that my administration's policy would be to support unions organi- organizing and the right to collectively bargain.
0: So Biden gave that address in February 2021. That was when workers in Georgia were voting on whether to organize their workplace. You think that his stance on the rail worker dispute changes the narrative that he's a pro-union president? Yes.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I think it, it takes a number of different acts, uh, a number of different decisions, uh, to ultimately change uh, a, a larger narrative. Uh, but, uh, but this certainly is. Uh, this certainly is distinct, and, and, it, and it is exceptional uh, in, contra- in and apparently contradicting uh, his stated positions and, and actions that he's taken as president, um, and it's certainly far different uh, from a position he took as a senator mm-hmm. in 1992 when there uh, was a two-day uh, railway uh, strike, and he voted against uh, doing something uh, very similar uh, to what's happening here uh, so it does challenge uh, I think his very strong uh, unconditional defense of workers and organized labor um, and and I think that will uh, somewhat complicate you know the, the overall the overall perception of the president's work um, there's still a lot of presidency left yeah. to go, and there are a lot of important things uh, that can and, and, and could be done. So I don't know if it will ultimately change the narrative, but it's certainly going to add—it's uh, certainly going to add an important chapter to it.
0: For sure. Well, before I let you go, where do you see this going next?
1: Uh, well, I think it's—it's it's, you know it's it's highly unlikely um, that that second piece of legislation that would grant the additional. Uh, or that would grant the seven days uh, of uh, of paid sick uh, will pass through the Senate. We'll see if that happens. If it does, uh, then uh, in, in effect, uh, these workers will will remain on the job. With the benefits that they uh, that they had fought for and had bargained for, uh, but if not, then I'm afraid uh, then this problem simply moves down the railroad, if you will. Uh, th- the problem's still going to exist. You're going to have workers very unhappy. You're going to have them working in abusive situations. You're likely to see more workers leave the industry. And by the way, they've been bargaining for three years to try to bring changes to this contract, but this problem goes back to about two 2006, where there have been countless studies, surveys done to address scheduling problems that expose workers to fatigue. So I'm afraid the problem is simply going to be pushed down the road Mm -hmm. and simply become aggravated.
0: That's Robert Bruno, professor and director of the Labor Education Program at UIC. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you.